This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. In past episodes in our Making the Business Case series here every Thursday, we've talked about deploying AI, finding the ROI of AI in big enterprises. We've had perspective from some of the biggest companies in the world. We've had heads of AI at Raytheon, at Comcast, I mean, you name it, we've had some excellent names, HSBC. But what about for smaller, more nimble companies? What about a company that's growing quickly with a billion dollar valuation, moving at rapid speed, that's now trying to leverage AI to take that same growth and that same market dominance to the next level? Well, that sounds like it's worth a podcast episode to me, and that's exactly what we do today. This week, we we interview Manny Medina, who's the CEO and founder of a company called Outreach. Many of you in the sales or sales operations space are going to be familiar with Outreach, a very popular software platform we've actually used ourselves here at Emerge. And Manny speaks about his journey in terms of finding where AI could add value to their product. They've been growing rapidly. Again, a billion dollar valuation is a substantial achievement for Manny and his team, but AI is is really going to be what the next level of the product is. And Manny goes through in detail how he thought about where those leverage points would be and what kind of experiments had to happen to make sure those leverage points would add value to his product. They are in the process. This is not necessarily a done deal for them. So he's really talking through his lived experience, what they've learned the hard way, what they feel like they've, they're kind of getting right. And obviously we're going to see how it works out for them in the future, but Manny does a great job of articulating it. And one of the reasons I bent this episode around building success successful AI products is because this has been a pressing question for many of our Emerge Plus members. For those of you that aren't already aware, Emerge Plus is our special members-only platform at Emerge.com, where we give folks access to our full landscape of AI use cases, as well as all of our best practice guides about going to market with AI products, about finding AI ROI, as well as frameworks for successfully deploying AI. Those resources are in Emerge Plus, and they're updated every week, as well as our AI white paper library, where Plus members can download whatever it is that they'd like. So Plus members had asked about building these. We have consultants in there that are building AI products for their clients. We have in-house enterprise innovation and strategy leaders that are building AI products in their own companies. And they're asking, well, what's a good way to layer AI into a product that's actually going to make it win in the market? And frankly, I think, again, Manny does a great job of articulating that in this episode. If you're interested in more of our resources there about go-to-market, more of our resources about AI product development, as well as our set of best practices, then check out Emerge Plus. It's E-M-E-R-J dot com slash P1. That's P as in plus one. And you can check out the membership there and hop right into the best practice guide section and download our go-to-market resources if you are so inclined. So that's E-M-E-R-J dot com slash P1. Without further ado, uh, let's roll right in. This is Manny Medina with Outreach here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Manny, I wanted to kick off with you and talk about a problem that I know a lot of our listeners are juggling, which is basically, how do you take a company that's moving, growing, doing interesting things, and then find where to layer AI onto it? You guys became a unicorn not all that long ago, and now it's it's like you're adding all these new features. You've had to go through some tough thinking. What was that like? How do you figure that out? It's, it's kind of like that proverb that the best time to plant a tree, that to plant the tree is 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. The second best time is now. Yep. So the best time to start with AI is three years ago. You know, what I mean, and the, and the second best time is now. So AI is something that we had in mind, and the pool of the market of the product market fit, and the pool of solving you know problems with with workflow, right? The ability for us to develop the moment that you re, that you give somebody ROI, they turn around and they ask you where is more. 
So you have to continue to deliver ROI nonstop. That's a blessing and the curse of being a successful B2B startup is that the journey of ROI is never ending. Yeah. And ultimately, AI is one of those things that has great ROI if you hit a good vein of a problem set for which people are willing to, to pay attention or even money. Anything short of that is a complete failure. So it has this really you know, interesting dynamic that is either, either a great home run and people love it, or it's a nuisance and, and people hate it and you just sunk a ton of time and money into it. So our journey has not been without, you know, a lot of a lot of, you know, we running up against, you know, the edges of technology, right? Like we're not Facebook. So I don't have billions of data data to like, you know, optimize things. We have 4,000 users, but like that, that doesn't give me enough data to to do a lot of things. So it wasn't until the advent of a Google release that the leverage a new uh, AI technology that allowed me to learn quickly with very small data sets. And that's when things took off. In the meantime, in the past, we were suddenly running, you know, running our head up against the wall, trying to trying to get things to work. And it was always a one-off, always a one-off, and we couldn't get it to. So it was really part of it for you. It sounds like was the technology just had to get there. And I know that a lot of certainly a lot of the conversational interface stuff feels that way. You know, Ally Bank, Wells Fargo, everybody launch a chatbot, then they cancel them because it's just it's a one a one-off little random thing. It just it, the tech's not there for you folks. It's not as much conversational. You know, you were you, you guys are in the you know sales enablement sort of workflow game, so it was more about you know understanding context and and sentiment. How did you, before we even talk about that technology helping you to unlock something new that I know yeah. you're going to be rolling out? This is all in process, right? So, you know, yeah. this is somewhat emerging for you guys, but it's it's hard thinking that you've gone through. And that's, that's I think, what people can learn from. How did you pick, hey, these facets are going to be where we really knuckle down and start layering in AI value? Like of all the things you could focus on, what, what lets you filter down? That is the hardest question to answer in AI, because if you if you point the ship in the wrong direction, it's really hard to course correct. So what we did was about a, almost two years ago, we decided to do a one-off for a handful of customers, a one-off question. And the one-off question is, what is the um, outcome of dealing with a positive versus a, versus a negative reply on an email? And we were lucky that customers sort of step up and say, yes, I would love to get that measure in my organization. So we took Glassdoor. And we did the analysis of like, this is how many reps are sending out communication. This is the quality of the communication coming back, either positive or negative. And then this is a time lag between getting back to those communications, either positive or negative. And then what is the performance of the rep in terms of like how much money can that person close at the end of the month, at the end of the quarter? And we found out by doing a very small, very manually and kind of like, you know, long, long nights and days for a very short period of time that the reps that can overcome objections had two to three X higher performance than reps that did not overcome objections. So all of a sudden, the ability to overcome objections became the differentiator between a really high performing rep and one that I was just okay. And, and just think about that. Like you, if you can get one and a half X out of the same person, you need to hire 30%, 40% less people. Yeah, That's a huge deal. Yep. You know what I mean? Or you can make a lot more money with the people that you have. So that nugget of insight was really what drove the program where we find ourselves today, where we're releasing you know, sentiment analysis for, for our customers in the form of reports and eventually in the form of next best action. But finding that insight, and then, and then once you find that insight, then you have to go back and be like, what data sets do I need to do this at scale? And then what, you know, do I have the piping to pipe those data sets into it and do it at scale? 
And then do I have the models to support that? And then and does the technology says, and it's just like the thing, thing after the thing after the thing. And like two years later, we're just releasing it. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, we run into the problem of we, we have enough data. Like we didn't have enough negative categorizations, right? Like one thing is a positive reply. Like, yes, of course I want to go ahead and that's not hard to yeah, do. Yeah. But a negative could be, you know, budget or it could be timing. It could be per person or it could be competitor. It could be a number of things. Getting that granular data with the small data sets was not possible until Trust for Learning came along and then we can do it, you know, by using the new technology. Yeah, I have so many, man, this is, there's a, a big Pandora's box here, Manny. So I'm going to dive in because I think, um, again, like you said, it's such a wrestling match to set up the shoots and ladders and the data collection and what you're going to train on. If I'm hearing you correctly, you manually analyzed a lot of customer feedback and came to this core realization that overcoming objections seemed to be sort of the factor that differentiated successful versus non-successful reps Correct. that are using your your software in, in the particular workflow that you guys help with. So the question was, what could better help them overcome objections, I suppose? So what you, you, you had to basically come up with, what's the key factor to unlocking results for customer? Then you had to say, yeah. does AI match onto that? And if so, how? Then you had to think through yeah. all the ways it might, because I could imagine things, Manny, where you know, you build some software to, you know, like an X.AI where you automatically send them a schedule thing, right? That's one option. Right? There's, right, another, right, there's right, another right. one where you could have, uh, you, you do some kind of marketing automation type thing where, you know, if they go cold for a certain amount of time, there's some, like there's an infinite number of things. So you had to say, this is what I think the linchpin is. And this is exactly. where I think we should spend two darn years hustling. That's a big bet, right? I mean, that's a big bet. It is. It is. And each of these things in AI are like that. Like they're, you, they, you know, you can get better over time, I believe, right? I think there was another guest in your, in your podcast that talked about like, sort of like the law of accelerated learning. That once you, you, once you crack one of these nuts and you have the piping and the data, in the data and the annotation, et cetera, you know, you can, you can answer questions faster, but each of these things are big bets, right? Because it, not only the model has to work, but it has to be surfaced to the user in a way that is consumable and they, and they will accept it. So one of the hardest problems in AI and B2B is how do you get somebody to accept a recommendation? Absolutely. You see what I mean? Like, how Absolutely. do you convince somebody to do it? Yeah. And it's not easy. No, no. The interface, I mean, you know, we could say the interface is a harder problem than collecting enough data. I, I would say almost ubiquitously that that feels to be the case, you know? If you can figure that out, for, in a lot of these niches, the future of, what's the future of AI and healthcare? The future, it's like, man, show me the, like, I, know, I'm, I have a friend who's looking for jobs AI and healthcare right now. He's looking at a company that does, in my opinion, about as boring as it gets radiology stuff. Like, oh man, this is going to yeah. be, some undergrad's going to be able to do this in two years. This is just open. So, you know, I'm sure it can get better. I'm not hating on the product. I'm, I won't name the company. But what they have is an interesting model to to sell it and to get to get doctors to actually use the damn thing. And that's what nobody can figure out. So it's like, man, their tech can be mediocre. You know, people have that critique of Gates, right? It's like this word thing isn't the best. This spreadsheet isn't the best, but it's it's however you can get people to buy and use. And so that was a big thing for you. Let me ask you this question, Manny, a little follow-up. You know, you, you figure out the core hypothesis. You figure out where you think AI can fit in. Then you've got to come up with these categories of negative responses. Now, thinking from your shoes, I'm thinking – I've got customers using outreach, you know, if I'm you, selling cars, selling software, selling, you know, market research, right? I mean, we're, we're you know, yeah, we've, yeah, we've yeah, used yeah. your stuff in the past, right? We sell the, you know, big banks. Um, so, you know, everybody's selling different things. You had to come up with strata that would apply across all users or did you pick the most valuable cohort? How did you think through that? 
Yeah. So first of all, we have to do it for the customers that we have, right? So the majority of our customers are are ninety uh, percent of our customers are are tech or tech enabled companies. So they're either selling in the in new industries, but they're at the end of the day they're selling some kind of technology solution. So there is some commonality to what we do. And the second piece is there is some commonality to the objection types. The, there is a handful of objection types that are fairly common, right? Wrong person is always is is a common across yeah. many many different. Yeah. Yeah. Wrong timing is also fairly ubiquitous. No budget or competitor. No budget is all fairly unique because competitor gets really tricky because in competitor it starts becoming very industry dependent. If you have a competition that that another industry doesn't have, we wouldn't be able to recognize a name. So. What we did is that the, the, the first release of, of our reporting will have, I think, about seven objection types that are fairly common across all industries. And then one general objection type in which we're just going to have to get smarter, right? The good news is that we get smarter as people take more actions on the platform, across the platform. So yeah, not only an yeah. email by invoice. Yeah. And we release Kaya. Kaya is also an automated AI assistant that needs the same information that the email competition will need, but to display it to the rep real time on the call. So I have another product with, with another team working on it that will crack the, the code of how do we quickly get like by industry, by segment, the competitive information because I will need it in Kaya, but I will also need it in email. So all of a sudden I'm starting getting leverage, right? Because I'm, I have two, two modes of communication can, that can use the same information, one asynchronous and one synchronous, but it's the same sort of underlying communication. So that's how I get the flywheel spinning, is that the more actions people take and the more information I can surface, the more validation points I get. That's the golden dream there, Manny. And you guys are at a phase where you're, you, know, you learn a ton more as you go, but, but you've at least got a smart idea about, hey, this could become a mutual flywheel. And this is a, this is a smart strategy for building on AI. It's not a piecemeal, oh, I think it could do a little of this, a little of that. Because it's so much work, you're having to say, when I get these big gears turning, how are they going to yeah. help each other? That's an exercise everybody right. needs. I'm going to ask you about your scrapes and bruises and how tough this stuff is. You, know, you were talking to me off microphone about the episode we had with uh, the head of machine learning at Slack. Anybody who's listening yeah. to this episode, I recommend listening to that when it was good. And you were saying, man, you know, one thing that wasn't covered in there was just how tough this stuff is. But let me ask you this question first. You determine the hypothesis of what's really going to move the needle for your customers. Then you determine where AI can fit in. Of all the things you could try, you know, you mentioned your Kaya yeah. application, your sentiment application, you pick those two. Who had to be in the room to come through and whittle down that it was going to be these few things, only a few things that we're really going to focus AI on? Who had to be in the room and contribute to make that idea feel like the right one? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. And um, there's, there is many different frameworks by which you pick which one are you going to do. But we are lucky that when you have product market fit, doesn't matter what vector you pick, they're all going to end up in some amount of money. The question is, which one is the biggest vector? And it's really hazy. It's really hard to see from, the, from here or there. You know the, what, what I use is passion for the problem. If the person who's going to work on the problem has passion around the problem, that is going to be worth all the money in the world because that person will grit it out, hit their head over, you know, many different walls to get to where they're going, you know, have a sleepless night because something doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like the personal commitment to a particular problem space has no parallels in economic decision making and is completely irrational. You see, I mean, it why is. we pick sentiment? Because we had somebody who could not sleep until he would get that problem resolved. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Did we get lucky or not? Yes, of course we got lucky because we hired that person that, you know, had a passion for the problem and boom, the problem got solved. 
But it could have been, the story could have been like, we had a person with a passion for the problem and the problem was meaningless. And all of a sudden you're stuck with, you know, two years of burn on a very expensive, you know, data yeah. science with a PhD yep. with no money at the other end. That's so tough. It's tough. Yeah. So it seems to me like you need kind of three things. So you're talking about the intangible ingredient. I'm just, I'm going to check in and see if, if you think differently about this, please inform me, but I'm trying to think for the listeners here. You know, we've got to have, is it something that's going to unlock genuine value from the user base? And do we have some really firm way to validate that? We, we sort of probably need that. We also sort yeah. of need, is it feasible with the technology today? A lot of our work right. is around finding precedents of AI use cases across industries. So if someone can say, does yep. any bank have a chatbot that can do X? We can say yes, or we can say no. Nobody else has right. cracked that problem. So it's got to deliver value. It's got to be somewhat feasible. But then for you, it's also got to be something that someone who's a leader just feels like they want to take the charge in. Do you think about all three? Or are there some of those that you try to ignore sometimes? Yeah, or? I think about all three. And okay. the fourth one is, is that is the data needed to make the model successful, yeah. fairly proprietary, meaning it's oh. the stuff that we are generating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because that creates a moat, right? Like that means that we build and if it's successful, I can't, I don't have anybody else coming yeah. and copying it. That's So those yeah. four need to be aligned. Yeah. And this is why this is hard, right? Because... It's kind of like, um, you know, you're going to build the, the rover program, right? The rover program took many, many years. And if you're off and it turns out that the people didn't have the passion, they're going to peace out and go to SpaceX and do something else, right? Like, yeah. And all of a sudden you're stuck with a bunch of parts. Yep. So you need to have, see, you need the passion for somebody to see it through, yeah. right? Somebody who cannot live without the problem. And that alignment is really hard to do. This is why AI is it's a true competitive dynamic in the, in the industry. It is. Yeah. You brought up uh, an, an idea. There was a, a venture capitalist we interviewed when I lived in the Bay Area. We did a whole bunch of Silicon Valley VC interviews, a guy by the name of Ben Narison who said, proprietary data plume where you sort of, yeah. you know, you, you have you have data that's unique to you that can hypothetically give you that space. And and that's it's really tough to crack, but of course it is the golden dream for, for startups that want to pull away. We can go now into, you know, the, the conversation that you were starting with me before we got off the ground, which is that, hey, people don't talk about, you know, how this stuff can go wrong and maybe some of the, the lessons learned. You know, everybody gets bumps and scrapes. Everybody, big or small, you know, learns hard lessons. What are some of those things that, you know, some of the listeners might work in a startup like you. Some of them might work in a big insurance company like one of our traditional customers that emerged. Some of them, you know, maybe they work uh, in manufacturing or something. And they're they're going through this. What are some of the things you think they have to know? You know, when they're when they're asking where does AI fit, what do they have to know? So first of all is, do they have the patience and the fortitude? Like the very literally the stomach fortitude to go through a, a, to what could be a multi-year journey. Because if you come up with a piece of insight, that could be really helpful for your customers. Like, if, if, let's take a minute that you crack the code of a chatbot that can really interact with your customers, right? But to do it at scale, you need to go back and like instrument every piece of information you have for the past twenty years. Do you really have the fortitude to do that? Like, that this is a this is a big investment that doesn't show up in any other way. You really, it's really sort of like you know, put a man on the moon kind of project, right? Where there's a continuous line between here and goal, but there is in between with technology that hasn't been invented yet or you don't have it, right? So when we decided to scale out sentiment, we're like, yeah, let's go. I told the board, you know, this is coming out. Just give me two quarters. It's going to come out. Huh. Turns out we had nothing instrumented. Yeah. So we have to go back and instrument everything. And once you have a data stream, then you can just put that shit into Redshift. You have to put it into streaming service because the data will continue to get better and it continue to get more of it. So you have to now overhaul the entire thing, create kind of like a, a pop-up system where you can put the streams of data and then you have to annotate the data. 
And then, okay, so now we have to annotate it. And then it turns out we don't have enough data. So we have to wait for like BERT to develop this new like transfer learning mechanism for us to be able to use a smaller set of data to, to really capture all the objections. But you know what I mean? But you know, you hit your head against the wall and then, at what point do you give up? At what point you say like, look, this is not gonna be anything. Like it's just, let's just go. Yeah. It's very easy, right? It's very easy to tell the story after the fact in a linear way where there is just not, nothing but dolphins and rainbows the entire way. And you don't talk about, you know, the failures and the lack of data and the, and the you know, pull it back and like, give that guy with the grit and the, and, the, and the appetite a little pep talk saying, you know, I know this is hard, but it's worth doing because it's hard. You see what I mean? Like, it, and I think it's in, it was in Kennedy's speech. It's like, we're going to the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Many projects are worth doing because not because it's easy, but because it's hard. If your data is proprietary and it adds value to the customer, guess what? That will be a competitive mode. Yeah. So yeah. you get your yeah. ass that you have to do it. Yeah. And, and you, you know, I mean, I, I know enough about your industry where you, you had to have some of that stuff in your slide decks to raise your last round or two, you know, like they're going to. They're, they're going to want to know of there's going to be a moat, right? So, you know, it's, of it's, course. and, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a part of the reality. And like you said, it's hard. So this brings up a couple other questions. I bet you some of the people are thinking when they're listening, which is, okay, I'm going to really have to buckle down. And anybody who's listened to us for long enough is, it should be well aware that, that this journey is, is often going to be rather challenging, particularly when you're building new functionality. In order to know that AI is the best move, you said the best time was three years ago, you know, if not the best time is today. You know, maybe for some people that's true, for, for, some, for some it's not. You have to have enough data, you have to have enough resources. But to know that something is a big enough deal to be worth this kind of chug-along process, for you, was it, did you have to connect the dots and say, this is what's going to differentiate us in the market, this is what's going to win future market share after two or three years from now? This, what was the North Star that said, okay, this is hard as hell, you know, we're doing it because it's hard, but it's not just because it's hard, we're doing it because this damn effort, this capability set, if we can unlock it, we believe is the best way to get to X, because you, you got to validate it somehow. How did you validate it? So that's a great question. And you have to start with a hypothesis and then with a lot of ton of, with a ton of manual work that is not scalable. Many times you're running models on like, and I kid you not, many times you're running models on like MATLAB or like spreadsheets yeah. and, and then you're, you're faking the AI, right? To see whether to. the value, whether there is value there. And then you go look for, for surprises, right? Like pockets of data where you said, if this were to happen, like how much ROI would you get? How would you feel? How much time are you saving? How much pro productivity would you get? And even then, like even if even if resolving all that, the question of like how much money are people willing to pay or how much time are you saving will that materialize? There's still a big journey, right? So for instance, our our original premise was that we're gonna build all this out and have next best actions for you so that you always know where to navigate when you get a negative re negative reply. It turns out that the next best action part it is still relatively difficult to do. It's far easier for me to show you a report where things are not working yes, and yes. have your manager coach you. <laughs> yeah. You see what I mean? And have yeah. marketing get involved. So there is a real gap in between like man-machine interaction that we're not ready to cross as humans, right? Like you're not ready to just be told by a machine what to do and just do it. You still want to rely a little bit on your intuition and your boss's intuition, which is fine. We can make that better. You see what I mean? So you have to figure out like what is the, the minimum viable AI product that you can build that will reap the most amount of benefit with the technology that exists and the team that you have, and then go with that. Yeah, and it, clearly it has to have enough transformative value in the long term. It has to have strategic value, right? If you if you told your yeah. leadership, you told your board, hey, look, give me six months, I'm gonna give you X percent return on what I spend on these data scientists. 
Yeah. Hell no. You know, you, you've got to yeah. say it's going to take us years, but this is why it's going to differentiate us. This is a compelling argument. This is what yeah. it could look like if we eat this kind of market share. And I think we need this to yeah. do it. The thing that really gives you the answer to the true north is like, where, where is gravity pulling? So in, in, I, in, in our industry, sales, right, gravity pulls in a particular, the, the most frustrating when you're talking to a customer or a prospect is no communication, no reply to an email, nobody picking up your call. That is, that is by far the most common thing to happen and the most frustrating thing to happen. The second most frustrating, most common thing to happen is negative replies. So if we cannot solve the negative reply problem, you know, we got no business being in business. Yeah. If we cancel the negative reply problem and doing something with it, then you got you got a lot of runway ahead of you because it's it's such a big part of your day dealing with negativity. Yep. That solving that problem itself is worth it. That's why we endeavor to do it. Yeah, we, we have a we have a whole report called Generating ROI with AI. And a, a lot of it is actually about setting this AI transformation vision. Namely, what is the big unlock that is for you and is for your market? And you're calling that something really interesting. And I like your wording, Manny. I'll, I'll give you credit if I use it in the future, just like I did with right. Ben Narison. You said, where is gravity pulling? So if you're thinking about your industry and how you're going to get the advantage, like where are all the forces shifting here? And, and if, you exactly. can, if you can align with that, then that can be something long-term that'll get you to commit. You brought up one other thing I want to kind of poke into before we wrap up today in, in all these rich experiences of, of going through this stuff in the last couple of years, which I know it must just be a wild thing on top of everything else in the business, is around being able to kind of check in. Because I think that is one of the big things is before you re-instrument your entire system, set up the chutes and ladders to test your hypothesis, which may or may not even go great you know, altogether, but you can only do your best. You mentioned, you know, we're going to run it on MATLAB. We're going to run it in, in spreadsheets. We're, we're going to test things somewhat small. I, I imagine when you set the vision, you set up some benchmarks to say, look, before we set up everything to tag things this way, we need to know that's going to deliver value. Before we instrument things this way, we need to know it's going to deliver value. How did you set those checkpoints? Because that's a big challenge for people too. I don't have a great answer for you because, you know, we're a fairly young company. But you, you have to have this sort of like voice of dissent in the room at all times saying, hey, are we still sure this delivers value? Just, just take this, go to the future, and is value being delivered by, you know, by, by chasing this particular problem? And being that sort of like that ability to have self-reflection and sort of like checking with yourself to see that, you know, is it true that most reps are dealing with negative replies right now? Is it true still? And the, if the answer is yes, then you, you know keep going, right? Because if you solve that problem and make that that transaction better, smoother, faster, you're still adding value. So you just, you just keep on checking gravity. You see, I mean, like, is the gravity still pulling yeah, in this direction, yeah, or yeah, has yeah. anything shifted? So as long as you chase that, you're gonna be in good shape, right? Like, this is one of those things. Like VCs are the same way, right? Like, if the market is big enough, if the thing is big enough, if you're off by twenty percent, you're still gonna hit jackpot. Yeah. So it's the same sort of like thinking. It's like, make sure the problem is big enough and the forces of gravity are pulling all in that direction and you're going to be fine. Yeah. And, and have those people to sort of check in and say, look, like, is this the way? Is this the way? And, and right, yeah, you right. got You got to have those team members that can be the devil's advocate enough to make sure you don't run too far kinds. in one direction. Okay. Got it. Well, I know we're, we're going to be wrapping up in a sec, Manny. Anything else, you know, as, as we close out. Anything else that you think like, hey, Dan, look, if you've got people that are going to try to apply AI within their own firm, build out these big kind of projects, they really should know this before this episode ends. Anything else come to mind for you? Talk to your end user. So whoever is going to be the user, the recipient of that knowledge, just make sure that what you're solving is a problem and not a vitamin. 
So, you know, you're, so make sure that you're selling into pain, not into vitamins. Because vitamins will always have adoption problems. will only get adopted by 10, 15, 20% of the people. And you'll be trying to solve the problem of adoption as opposed to like, are you really hitting a particular pain? And don't be afraid of just tossing away things that are not working. You know, your, your team is too valuable to continue to work on foolish errands. So constantly check with the end user. Make sure that, the end, that you're solving a true problem for them that is measurable, it's in their face, and they can go home and say, my life is better, either their wives or partners or whatever, my life is better off because this thing happened to me. Like, it has to be to that level, and then you know you're solving the right problem. So never forget about the end user. It's great stuff. For those of you who are listening in, you're, you're well aware that we, we focus this on non-technical professionals. Manny is not a known for being you know, a triple PhD computer scientist, but you can see how some conceptual understanding of AI is helping to steer a company without necessarily having to put the code in. I can tell you've put a lot of thought into this, Manny, and I think that's translated to the audience. Thanks so much for being able to join us today. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. Great, great to be here. All right, so that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed this Making the Business Case episode on the AI and Business podcast. Again, every Thursday, we talk not just about use cases, but about what it takes to practically use AI, deploying, building products, finding ROI. That's our Thursday focus, and I hope you've been enjoying it. Obviously, we've been trying to bring the best guests we can to the show. Manny, founder of a unicorn company, I thought he brought tremendous energy to this episode. You can really see what it takes to, to build a billion dollar company. You've got to have a, a lot of gas in that engine there. And I think Manny really let it out in terms of conveying his insights and bringing his energy to this episode. If you've enjoyed this one and you want to have maybe some new topics covered in the months ahead, or you want to share some feedback about what you've really liked most and what you want to see us cover more of, that's how I get my best ideas. And that's what I share with my team. So we would love to hear from you. You can go to Apple Podcasts, what used to be called iTunes, find the AI and Business Podcast and leave us a review. If you enjoy the program, drop us a five-star review. That always means the world. It helps other people learn about the show. But let us know, what is it you'd like to see more of? What have you really enjoyed most about the program? Uh, And that feedback, again, is directly useful. Often I'll include some of those nice reviews in our email newsletter to all of our subscribers to showcase what some folks think about the show, what they're getting out of the show, and to kind of tell people why we're picking certain topics because reviewers like you have suggested them. So share your thoughts. We'd always love to hear from you. And I'm going to wrap up this episode. I'll catch you in the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast. 